Father God, we turn to your word now. We pray that we might understand it rightly and apply it diligently to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are times in life where, and we're all used to this, that you're just left hanging. And though it's no fun, it surely makes life interesting. So you ask your girlfriend to marry you, and she says she wants to think about it for a while. You're left hanging. Or or how about if you're a Cleveland Browns fan back in the 1980s? It's like, man, you know, they they, they never won any kind of championship five years in a row. They went to the the playoffs only to lose in the first or second game, and you you get used to being left hanging as a Cleveland Browns fan. We've hanged ourselves in the last decade as a Cleveland Browns fan, so we don't even have hanging anymore. Or my favorite is this. How about if you are are watching television, you're watching one of your favorite sitcoms, and it gets to the end of the half hour or hour, and it says, to be continued next episode. And you're like, oh, stink. I got to wait a week for this thing to to come back. And, And life is filled with so many examples where you and I are left hanging, waiting anxiously for what's going to come next. And though it's no fun, it does make life suspenseful. The reason I mention that is because last week we started kind of a two-part series within a series called I Am Chosen. We looked at Romans chapter 9. And i got to tell you, this doesn't happen very often in the Bible, but at the end of chapter 9 of Romans, you are definitely left hanging. And many of us felt that when we were doing our study last week. Because Romans 9 presents a thesis, a truth about God, that at one and the same time is both comforting and securing but also leaves us with a lot of unanswered questions, and it leaves us hanging. So what I want to do is to hang no more, and I'm going to dive right back in today, and we're going to pick up our study, moving now into chapter 10, to try to complete what we started talking about last week. And some of you are saying, well, Jamie, this is my first Sunday here. I missed last week. Thanks a lot. But but we're going to kind of give you a, a quick preview of what happened last week, as well as to catch the rest of us back up. So if you have an outline, this is the review part. I'm just going to give you a very, very brief review of what we talked about last week so we can all get caught up and, and move on this week. And here was my main point last week, and that is that in Jesus Christ, God has chosen you, not vice versa, and it's all about his mercy and plan. That's what Romans 9 teaches us, that if you are a believer here today in Jesus Christ, someone who has clearly become a Christian by placing your faith in Christ, Romans 9 tells you that you are now one of the chosen And that God from eternity past has chosen you to be his child. That even though it seems like you chose him, Romans 9 pulls a fast one and says, no, God chose you. And we noted then that this means all the aspects of your coming to him were of his doing. The conviction of your sin, the realization of his forgiveness, the people who helped you along the way, even the faith that you had that seems so much like yours at the time, God says, I gave you that gift of faith so that you might believe. And as if this were not enough, we further noted two things uh, in Romans 9 that it makes clear. First, he chose you, and it was not based on anything that you did or didn't do. In other words, he didn't choose you because you're some great person or he looked ahead in time and saw that you would have faith or that you'd be this or not be that. No, it kind of kicks all those stilts out from under us and says he chose you not based on anything you did or didn't do. It didn't have anything to do with that. 
So why did he choose you? This is the second thing and the last thing we noted last week, and that is that Romans 9 tells us he chose you simply due to his own mercy and his own plan and purposes. It doesn't tell us any more than that. Simply that his choosing of you is part of his amazing grace and even a part of his plan from all eternity for this world. So Romans 9 best sums it up this way. Look up here on the screen. It says, For he, God, says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called. It's mind-boggling, to be sure, to think that God and God alone is ultimately the one in charge of our salvation and life, and it unquestionably leaves us hanging but with a lot of questions uh, that we have in response to this, even for some people, some objections. And if you remember at the end of last week, I told you that by design, I wanted to leave you hanging. Because I think way too many Christians, when confronted with this idea of God's grace, that really your salvation is about His grace, they quickly move to try to answer the objections, to make sense of this, to try to find some combination of how this fits in with our will as Troy mentioned and though we're going to do that today I, I got to tell you we needed to spend a week hopefully just parking in front of this idea that he chose us and let that sink in and let your heart be grateful no matter how you explain this no matter how you reconcile this and make sense of it don't water down or diminish the absolute sovereignty of God in your life, let it sink in. That was my challenge to you and park in front of it for just a little while. And hopefully you spent some time doing that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you have been chosen for his glory, period. Now, I know because I hear things that many of you did try to park in front of this truth this week, but that you also had a lot of discussions trying to make sense of this. Phone lines, Bible studies, email exchanges, family dinner tables have been, have been discussing this week how all of this could be and how it fits in with our own freedom and even our own choice. Theologians have been wrestling with this conundrum for 2,000 years, even longer now, and so it's natural that you and I would wrestle with this, and that's what I want to do here this afternoon. And I'm going to do so in kind of a Socratic message or me method, three questions that I want to ask and answer. You'll see that in your outline in the center of your compass. Three questions that I think get to the heart of what's going on with this issue that might help take some of the edge off of the raw determinism that you felt last week. Three questions that might help us understand God's sovereignty and our choices. And obviously the first and critical question would be this. What about my choice? Is it real? Does it count? In other words, if you have come to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, think about it. You've obviously made a decision to do so. You chose to believe and trust in him. Maybe you prayed a prayer. Maybe you walked an aisle. Maybe you had what John Wesley called that heartwarming experience. Something you did or said or felt that revealed your faith response to the message of the gospel. And the question then that is so obvious in light of Roman 9, the claim that Romans 9 makes about God being in charge of our salvation is this. Well, then what about my decision and choice? Was it really my choice or was it God forcing my hand? 
Was it something that I'm actually responsible for? Or am I just a puppet responding to God like a marionette on, on, on a couple of strings and just doing God's bidding? What about my choice? Is it real? Does it count? And the answer to this question, believe it or not, is relatively simple and straightforward, almost universally agreed upon by the majority of biblical scholars. And here it is. Yes, you have the ability to choose, and God holds you joyfully and sometimes painfully responsible for your choices. That's the answer, and I've chosen my words very carefully there. Yes, you have the ability to choose and God holds you joyfully and sometimes painfully responsible for your choices. And so what I am asserting in this, let me be very clear, that somehow in the midst of God's free and unhindered choice, human choice and decision is also in play. Your ability to choose, choosing the will that you have, is real. It's not an illusion. And God both declares this in his word and he honors this in your life. So let me say it very clearly. The sovereignty and calling of God in your life and in your salvation does not negate, nullify, abrogate, take away, nor remove your ability to choose and to prove so God holds you responsible for the choices that you make, even the biggest choice of whether to choose or reject his son, Jesus Christ. And though I'm going to try to describe how this can be in light of God's unhindered sovereignty in just a few minutes, first I want to show you that this is indeed what the Bible teaches. That's our starting place. Our biblical theology must always inform our systematic theology. One of the greatest mistakes that Christians make is they got this nice little tight theological system that we function by. The only problem is it doesn't square with the Bible. And so we always need to start with what the Bible says about reality, then try to understand it systematically in our lives. So let's go to the Bible. Romans chapter 10 is where we are as we make our way through Romans 9 through 10. And so as you're turning to Romans chapter 10, I want to give you an overly simplified outline of Romans 9 through 11. This will be very important for you to understand the logic and flow of these three chapters. You remember from last week that Romans 9 declares that God is sovereign and that he is irresistibly calling some to be a part of his kingdom. That's the insult that we feel. But it's also the comfort that we take. Romans 9 lays out very clearly God's choice for you and for me as followers of Jesus Christ that it was his doing, his calling, his choice. But then interestingly, you turn the page to Romans 10, which we're going to do today, and it talks about our corresponding responsibility to likewise choose and be held responsible for our choices. And then Romans 11 kind of helps us make sense of these two seemingly contradictory truths. But before we get to Romans 11, look with me at what Romans 10 tells us. Look at verses 4 and then verses 9 through 15. It says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And skip down to verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Here it is. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, 
For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call upon him they have not believed? And how can they believe if they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good news. Now, folks, contained in this passage here is what theologians for 2,000 years now have labeled a universal call to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. You caught it no less than three times. In verses 4 and then 11 and then 13, it calls whoever and everyone to believe and trust in Christ. Do you see that there on the screen? And we know from the context here that this means all humanity. Some try to weasel out of this by saying it's just referring to a subset of humanity. The problem is that doesn't square with the context here.